Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, today I have my friend Luke Lehman with me. And uh, I got to tell you, this is going to be a great discussion. Luke is a badass. Okay. He's a former fighter pilot, entrepreneur, and host of the Shift Work podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but as a CEO and investor uh, in a family, so he's got some young kids as well. He has built seven and eight figure businesses, and he really understands what it takes to grow and scale business. And he believes that entrepreneurship is the only path to true wealth and freedom. Uh, and he's passionate about living his life of intentional alignment and making some of these little 1% changes that leave behind a trail of better humans. So just with that, you can see why I like Luke and, you know, whatever you do, listen to this entire episode, because you might've started, you know, hearing that and go, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. I work in corporate America. Trust me, hang on, listen to the entire episode, because when you do, regardless of which position or, you know, where you're at in your life, there will be some transformational takeaways from today's episodes that will help you make those little changes in your life that you need to get exactly where you want to be. So with that, let's roll that episode with Luke. Hi, I'm Jason Mefford, and you're in the right place to start transforming your career and life with this podcast. I've been in the trenches as an executive leader, and now I'm an executive coach and confidential advisor to executives all over the world. I use a multidisciplinary approach to improve learning that drives transformation by getting to the root cause in a practical, no-nonsense way. I love learning and sharing what makes people tick. You get both education and entertainment, since learning shouldn't be boring, right? But that's enough about me. This podcast is a combination of intuitive leadership, neural influence, and mental mastery to take your career and life to levels you've never thought possible. If you're wanting to improve yourself, develop stronger relationships professionally and personally, make quicker, better decisions, and become a more effective leader, then of course, this podcast is for you because you are going to learn how to manage emotions in yourself and others, avoid burnout, stress, and anxiety, master your mind, get people to listen and take action, and become a lifelong learner. And when you do that, you will have a positive mental attitude, executive leadership presence, and the skills to know exactly what to say and do in any situation. I'm glad you're here. So, let's get started. Hey, Luke, how you doing, man? I'm well, Jason. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Uh, dive deep today and spend some time 
opening the aperture a little bit for some of the listeners. We'll dive deep, but we got to aim high and fly yeah. high, right? I mean, As, I, so so says the best marketing material from the United States Air Force. That's true. <laughs> exactly. Well, now I've I've seen some of the newer ones that they're putting out. You know, like with with space space command and some other stuff like yeah. that. And I'm like, this is like serious sci-fi shit that's going on in the they Air got Force. some good marketing creativity i'll tell you that but i mean they you know it's good i think we rode on the backs of top gun for the last 20 years so they they can probably do for some new marketing material <laughs> well there's a new top gun movie coming out or does it did it already come out i, I, I think I, it's still coming out yeah so another 20 years of, of the air force trying to play catch up to the navy and marketing material yeah no well it and it, it's fun you know because as a, as a kid as a kid growing up um i loved airplanes i wanted to be a pilot my problem is i have these things right mm -hmm. so very early very early on i got glasses so i would sit and stare at my at my posters of fighter jets one of which is the one that you flew love it the a10 um so anyway just get, give people a little background because I, I know, you know, I've got a few friends that were pilots in the Air Force, and it's just always fascinating, fascinating to me, um, kind of that experience and how that's kind of led you to where you're at today, right? Because there's a lot of lessons and other things to learn yeah. even just from that. Fascinating is certainly a, you know, a good word for it. The irony of this, Jason, is that I didn't grow up thinking about flying A-10s. Matter of fact, I don't even know that I knew what the jet was until I was in pilot training, thinking that I was going to go be a F-16 pilot or something. And, the, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll give you this story, but the, you know, the punchline, I remember sitting in a fighter squadron in Del Rio, Texas, where I went to pilot training, I was probably 23 years old. And the squadron commander was a guy that had been a Thunderbird. Mm -hmm. And you can go do the Googles about uh, what happens when A-10 pilots become Thunderbirds. But I'll spoil the surprise when you take some someone who's been used to flying a 41,000-pound airplane at 250 knots and you ask them to go fly at 450 knots, three feet from someone else, it doesn't always end well. <laughs> so um, he, he got a new call sign out of it. But as he looks across the table, um, I forgot what my call sign was at the time, but he looks across the table and said, for you five, we're going to take you from a T-38, which is the trainer, 350 knot mine, and we're going to speed you up to a 450 knot mine. And he said, and Luke, for you, we're going to take your 350 knot mine and speed you back down to 250 knot. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Um, and that was the, you know, the entry level into the A-10 community. And someone, um, we were taxiing out from a, a ramp in Pope Air Force Base, North Carolina. He said, taxi two blue collar fighters. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. I was a young lieutenant probably in it. And then I really began to embody what it felt like to roll your sleeves up and to get dirty and to, you know, as I tell the story now, I never picked a single fight, but I knew how to end a lot of them. And it was, a, you know, it was a heck of a ride to fly that jet. Well, and that, that, that plane does end a lot of fights. I mean, that's, it's, I think the nickname was tank killer or something like that. Yep. Right. And, and, yep. and like tank you said, I mean, those things, I know you're talking in knots in, for the pilots and the, and the, and the, and the boaters yeah. out there, they'll know what that means, but you know, it's, it's difference between, you know, sub, sub, subsonic, supersonic, you know, kind of thing again, right. To where, I mean, you're flying yeah. jets like an F-16, you could be five, six, 700 miles an hour in those things where I think in the A-10, you're only a couple hundred miles an hour or something like that. Well, you know, the interesting, so we, we talk about it. So, so a knot, 
is a nautical mile, right? Speed yeah. per nautical mile versus speed for per statute mile miles per hour is kind of what that is. They're more or less the same, right? 300 is more or less 300. What's interesting is the Mach number. And what most people don't know is that the Mach number is really what makes the most sense. So when you're low altitude, the Mach and your indicated airspeed are very similar. So at 350 knots, it's at the surface is the same, but I might be flying a different Mach number and that changes as the altitude goes up. And in the A-10, yeah. we just didn't fly high altitude. We were all, you know, we, best case, we were at, 21, 22,000 feet or something like that when there's folks zorching around in the mid thirties. Um, and, and, you know, they were pushing 0. 0.9, 1.0 on the mock. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we, we couldn't get over the mock in that airplane. Which no, no, <laughs> it doesn't go that fast. Doesn't go that fast, but you know, I, I, I'm sure again, I mean, it's, it's, it's always interesting, especially like I said, for, for little boys like me that wanted to be a fighter pilot, but there's, there's some serious things you learn in the military, going through that, being in battle um, as well, that kind of help you in, you know, who you've become today and how you're helping people today as well. So, yeah. you know, what what are what are some of those things that you kind of learned going through that that you've carried forward into into your life now that are also lessons that other people can learn from? I think the transition, Jason, happened for me actually as I was getting out and. And I left the active duty Air Force after about 10 years to go fly for Delta Airlines and before I started being a business person, entrepreneur. But one of the things that's most marked is what happens to your identity. And, you know, if you can imagine 18-year-old Luke Lehman says, I want to go be somebody and I'm going to go to North Carolina State University and I'm going to go be an ROTC guy because I want to fly jets one day. And what what happens the shift is that at some point you embody the identity of the person that you want to become and it it took uh, many years before i saw that but when i look back on it jason is where did i become a pilot and what at what point did i actively in my mind become a pilot was it upon selection that they said you're going to be a pilot you're a candidate to be a pilot was it after flying a Cessna 172 or a T6 or a T38 or an A10, you know, what, at what point do you really become the person of becoming that version of yourself? And the best analogy that I can have, the most easiest transportable discussion is that of a parent. It's the one time that yesterday you were not something and today you are. And I would even say even more so for fathers because mothers at least get the nine month transition of they're carrying oh, yeah. the baby. But, but in, for a father yesterday, I was not involved in this child's life. And today I am and my responsibilities and my identities, my beliefs and all the structure around my value system changes. And that was what happened for me as I became a fighter pilot. And when I became that embodied it, my, my values changed, my environment around me changed, the people that I hang around with changed and then that shift happened again in the entrepreneurship world. When I, when I left behind the version of me before to become the version of me again, that was a shift. And, and the question for me is, what does the identity of an entrepreneur look like? And to be frank, Jason, at this point, my life has been nothing but a, sh a shift in identity as we've moved along mm -hmm. and you become mm -hmm. more empowered to become that next best future version of what you are. Because that's really, I mean, you're not competing with anyone other than yourself 
and the name of the game for me is is making the one percent changes to be the better ver- better version of me tomorrow. Well, and I think it's interesting because, as you said, you know, I mean, it, I've lived long enough. You've lived long enough. You know, we we do embody different identities at different times, right? And so some of this, you know, some people talk about ego states, which is you know one of those things that you can kind of think about that there's there's a certain identity that you have to have in order to do certain things, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, I mean, I'm sure you've heard all the fighter pilot jokes as well, right? I mean, everybody else talks about fighter pilots being egotistical and blah, 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 right? But when you put somebody behind the wheel of a hundred million dollar piece of, piece of machinery and you're in those situations that you get put in, especially if you're in active combat areas, you need a certain identity in order to survive and thrive in that environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense, right? You've got to have that identity of being the fighter pilot if you're going to be successful there. But then you retire, <laughs> you know, you, you move on to something else, that fighter pilot identity probably isn't going to help you in running a business. It does, but you have to kind of become a new identity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I think what's, what's beautiful about it and ego, oh man, ego, ego is such a good one. And in ego, when you, when harnessed can be such an asset, but for most of us, ego is the thing that stands between us and good forward progress. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, it's the thing that gets triggered and, and allows us to be jaded or, or view things through too narrow of a mindset. And, you know, for us, one of the things that, that, that is ingrained in the culture of a fighter pilot that isn't often shared is the level of psychological safety. This included, um, Dr. Timothy Clark talks about psych- psychological safety a lot. And it's, um, mm-hmm. the, the discussion of what a contributor or a challenger can be inside the team dynamic. And um, we, you know, there's some culture stuff inside the fighter community that we have embodied that lots of folks don't know about. One of those is this commitment to excellence. And, and I teach now the, the ways to harness those components. We talk a lot about making decisions that are 90% correct with 80% of the information. We talk a lot about how indecision is the antithesis of bad decision, but I would all day long like a poor decision over no decision. In the airplane world, if I make no decision, eventually that piece of 41,000 pounds of iron hits the ground and gravity takes over. But when you come back to it and you and you take a look and we bring those th- concepts in like identity and ego is it gets boiled down to choice. And you know, for me, there was there was times in my career where I had to make a choice to maneuver the airplane. Sometimes it was to point the airplane at the ground. Sometimes it was to pull the trigger or push the pickle button and release ammunition. And that is what I want to take forward into my life. And that's the skill set. So harnessing the ego and moving forward in that component of psychological safety to build and develop real teams now in a for-profit capacity, but it's harnessing those components of being a fighter pilot and and being aware of the choice that you have to harness that ego. So a lot, lots to unpack around the ego. And I love having that discussion. Well, so do I, because it's, it's, you know, again, it's, 
a lot of times we have to, you know, decide who we have to be at a particular point in time, right? I mean, I've mm -hmm. got a lot of friends that are actors or have been in that in that profession before, right? And it's the same thing. You have to, if, if you're showing up for a particular role, sometimes you have to embody that identity, grab yeah. that <clears throat> ego state, kind of from Ericksonian, you know, uh, type of stuff, and, and become or be that person at that point in time. But I wanted to go back because one of the things that you said here is I'd rather make a poor decision over no decision. And I know a lot of people that are listening um, probably find themselves in this situation all the time where we think, because you kind of married this with psychological safety as well. So I want to kind of unpack this a little bit because a lot of times people believe falsely that they are psychologically safe by not changing, by not making a decision until they have 100% of the information, right? But I heard you say a 90% decision based on 80% of the information that, you know, in order to, you know, really kind of move forward in life, it seems like we've got to be comfortable making decisions that we don't have all the facts for. Yeah. So how, how, am I hearing that right? And how, how do are. we, how do we yeah. do that? How do we do that? Cause I, I see a lot of people, you know, that I coach, uh, you probably do as well that are just, they're so afraid of making a bad decision that they won't make any decision. Yeah. Fear, fear and, um, you know, being afraid is an interesting thing. So, you know, I love um, acronyms. The, the fear for me is a future expectation of an adverse result. Independence, independent of its likelihood of occurrence. So future expectation of an adverse result, independence of its likelihood of occurrence. And what happens on, on fear is that we assign values to something that's gonna happen in the future. And it really doesn't matter how likely it's gonna be to occur. And we allow that fear, I, I do it. It's not like I'm immune to this thing. I just am more present to it now. I realize what it is and I am able to call that out as fear and I move it away from a problem and into an outcome state. But here's the, you know, the key to this. And we talk about indecision or poor decision is that what I'm really focusing on is the quality of your decision-making pro process. I just want to know that I have enough faith and confidence in the way that I can make the decisions to know that I have enough broad view that I've taken enough information in that I have a high likelihood of success in the future. But here's, here's where folks get too um, mired down into this process. And, and I truly do believe this is that we assign this value off into the future of something that may or may not happen. But the only decision that I'm trying to make is the thing that's going to affect the next step. I, I have these, you know, very specific versions of how I attract and manifest and move forward to the things in my life that I'm going to attract. But that's because I start with the end in mind and I know which way I'm going. But the only thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to make the next step. And if I can make that next step in the right trajectory and the biggest step that I can make, and I can do that consistently time and time again, that's how I win. And we used to do that in the airplane all the time. Mm -hmm. I would think forward like a chess player of what do I need to do in three or four moves? If I 
if I accept this nine line, which is our attack instructions, am I going to have enough time to conduct the attack and make it to the tanker so that I can air refuel? Or am I going to have enough time to do this attack and only get home? And as you can think forward, then I can take that next best step with the right trajectory and the biggest step that I can take. And when you do that, those are the 1% changes. That's how we win consistently. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up chess because as you were talking before, that popped into my head before you even said that, right? Because it's, <laughs> it is, it's, re it's really about the next couple of steps, the next step, the next couple of steps, right? When you're sitting down and playing chess, you can't script out the whole game mm -hmm. because you don't know what's going to happen, right? You're playing somebody else, right? And so the problem is you're, you're, you are trying to make your next move, maybe assuming what you're, what, what the person you're playing against might do, but you don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, necessarily like, like if you take something like that, as a strategy game, you know, if you move a certain way, they should counter a certain way, right? There's kind of yeah. like the statistic probabilities of, of why you should play that way. And I remember watching a couple of movies recently about chess. I think one, one was called Queen's Gambit. And then there was another one about uh, a Fisher. And, um, and, and what was amazing is that, you know, again, the, the players who were really good sometimes played with what seemed to be reckless abandon. Right. And so you couldn't necessarily figure out what they were going to do. But if I'm hearing you right, we don't have to understand the next 20 moves and have them all down. We just need to make a decision for our next move and possibly what the one after that is going to be and then reassess each time. Right. Because it's the same thing like you like you were saying, you know, if you're if you're in, you know, in a fight in the airplane, right? You, you've got your attack line or, you know, I don't know all the terms, but, okay. I get uh, it. You, you know, you get it that of what you're kind of supposed to do, yeah. but you don't, you don't know necessarily until the other person makes their counter move. Yeah. Till I take a SA seven up my tailpipe, right. You know, all of a yep. sudden that surface to air missile shows up and I have to react, you, you know, here, Jason, I think that things that um, a lot of, a lot of folks get mired down in indecision because of fear of what's going to happen. And they, and they have this expectation that things, um, what is the law that says if it can go wrong, it will go wrong? <laughs> Murphy's you know, law. Mur is Murphy's that Murphy's? Law. It's such yeah. bullshit. Why, why, would I, why would I speak into existence something that, what, what about the opposite of that? Why not if it can go right, it will go right? And, and that's the level of choice for me is that I focus on the quality of decision. So if I make this decision in the most broadest aperture, the widest view of my map of the world, and I take that biggest step forward, I know because I have a history of high performance that it is the right step and that all I'm going to be looking for on the next step is 80% more information so that I can make a decision that's 90% correct. And then again, and then again, and then again, and then again. And you know what I just kind of was thinking about as you were talking, Jason, is that what what we get so attached to is we get so attached to the outcome. You know, if I, if I say that I want, I, mean, I can write it down. I, I have in my, in my goals for the year that I want to take six weeks of vacation with my family. 
Why, why does that matter? And I'll come back to it here in just a second of how we bring that back into our own lives. But if I begin to move in the direction of a person who's going to take six weeks of vacation with their family, I now make intentional decisions to schedule those things. I look intentionally at when my kids are going to be out of school. I make concessions for the busy seasons of my business so that I can make those opportunities happen. But here's where we, here's what happens. Most folks get mired down in the what ifs. What if I can't get time off from my work? What if I miss an opportunity? What if the kids get sick? What if COVID? What if whatever, whatever? Well, I view it completely different. I view it as if it's already occurred and I'm, as if I'm on this predestined path and I play it forward. But here's the real kicker is that I have no association to the outcome. If I only schedule five weeks or if I schedule seven, it doesn't mean anything for me. It only means what I can allow it to mean. And, and you know, you, you and I both know that people speak in these misrepresentations, these deletions mm -hmm. and this, these distortions, distortions of truth. Yeah. And when they, when they do this and they misrepresent it to themselves is they allow it to mean something else. And, and that's part of, you know, when I'm working with higher performers, I ask them things that help me understand how they put their reality together. The analogy that I use is, you know, my, I, I t tell this all the time. Um, uh, my daughter was late to school. Okay. So what does that mean for you? Right. And, and then, and then how did you put that reality together? Well, she didn't brush her teeth. So she was late to school. Okay. Well, you're still omitting something. What does it mean for you? Well, it means my day is ruined because it cascaded into me missing meetings. It's like, well, holy shit. That means something wildly different to you than I thought it would have meant, right? Mm -hmm. I just thought it would have meant that we had a, a, a healthy focus on oral hygiene <laughs> and that we all had beautiful teeth. And, and that's the difference between the positive outlook and outcome-based solution instead of the problem. And, you know, so when we come back to it and we bring it down, get out of the 30,000 feet, Luke, and, and bring it back down to the surface is that we can make decisions that are consistently good and they consistently service and we have consistent expectations that the right things are going to happen in a predefined path for us and that the universe is conspiring in our favor and it's just choice and, and i know that you know this because mm -hmm. you you and i come from very similar backgrounds is that when you look at choice and you look at the stories that people tell themselves i i literally pause and i and, and the difference now is I can just do it for myself better than I, you know, once could have. I go, how did you, how'd you come up with that? Where did that story come from? <laughs> oh, we're full of stories. <laughs> but, but I wanted to go back because, you know, the, the example you started off with, with, you know, a real one that you have of spending six weeks of vacation with your family, right? I mean, mm -hmm. your kids are still younger. It's, mm -hmm. it's important, right? I, I wasn't that good of a father. Um, my kids are all grown, gone you know, sort of thing, but, but there's an intention behind why you set that mm -hmm. as well. Right. Because like you said, there's, there's, there's a couple things we can think about, which is, oh man, I didn't meet my goal. Cause it was only five. We only took five weeks and I was going to spend six weeks and I'm such a failure and blah, blah, blah. beat ourselves up. Right. Or maybe you spent eight weeks, who knows, maybe something else came up. Right. But I'm guessing there's an intention behind why you want to do that, yeah. right? And 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 so because of that, are 
are your actions meeting the intention or are you worried about some number or attaching to a specific goal instead of the whole reason why you had the goal to begin with? Yeah. Because there's a big difference there, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the interesting thing for me um, and I, you know, I don't need to learn everything in life myself, I can take the lessons from others, right? And when you say, when you say I wasn't that great of a dad, it hurts my heart to hear it, of course, but I know that there's, there's some level of expectation. There's some things that was said, I, I, you know, hand, uh, hindsight being 2020, I would like to do something a little bit different. And, and for me, it's going and at eight and six years old, is I get one shot at this. And I am a firm believer when we talk about intention and this, you know, this is the whole philosophy behind intentional alignment is that where, where your intention goes, your attention follows, where your attention goes, your energy flows. And by simply setting the intention for the type of person that I am, I am able to then apply my attention and my energy to it. And it's, and, and the whole thing is a process, but it's about, you know, for me, it's about being able to get to the end of a workday and put the pen down for, for in my early entrepreneur journey, I wasn't able to do that. I certainly didn't do it as a fighter pilot. Being a fighter pilot is very similar to being an executive in a, in a fortune 500 company. Uh, I manage processes and people and, and heavy budgets and iron the same way that anything, anybody else does, but the same pressure for performance is there. It is a, it is a very unforgiving environment you know first off because you can die right so and, and and i have buried a lot of friends um that for a variety of reasons i i have buried probably a disproportionate amount of people in my life and they were mostly all doing the right thing at the right time but for me is the intention and and you and i talk a lot about identity is i have some very specific identities that i fulfill in my life I am a father. I am an athlete. I am a CEO. I am an investor, right? I fill these roles based on the best version of me. And then I continually challenge what that next version of me is. And, and oh, I will tell you that this, this adequacy is that it, it's one of the worst things for high performers is because we get so comfortable mm-hmm. in today's adequacy. And I think it was Jim Collins that talks about um, good as the enemy of great. And it's, it's getting out of that comfort zone to say, you know, for me, I'm, I'm looking out over the water here in Charleston is uh, my next step for me is to learn how to kite surf. And if I were to say at 40 years old, well, um, I can't kite surf because, you know, um, that's going to mean that I'm going to have to miss soccer practice or I want more sleep or I don't have time because of my work or it's going to interfere. They're all stories that I'm telling myself anyway. So my intention is very simple because I am an athlete. My next skill that I'm going to learn is how to be a kite surfer and, and the rest of it will fall in place. And eventually I, I, Jason, I don't even own a kite. I don't own a surf. I gotta, I think you gotta get a surfboard, right? You know, something yeah, you, to my you hook feet, into right? the surfboard and then you, yeah. 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 So, but theoretically I already know the next step and right. If I can take the next step that has the highest, the biggest step in the right direction, Eventually I'll get, I probably need a wetsuit, right? It's going to be cold in the water and, you know, maybe April would be a good time to do that in Charleston. But the point is, I already know as if it has already occurred that I am a kite surfer. And at the identity level, I'm a kite surfer. 
And it's like, how much, how much of a kite surfer do you need to be before you're a kite surfer? How much of a pilot do you need to be before you're a fighter pilot? How much of a father do you need to be before you're a father? Well, for me, because I've already assumed the identity of someone that is a kite surfer, I am already moving in that direction. I already embody and I think about it. It's like, well, what's it going to feel like when I launch the kite and pull it, pull it over to the end of the, you know, and at some point, and this is the fine line in integrity is to go, where, where do I become that thing? And, you know, your audience can take it to task on me. Like you're, you're not a kite surfer, Luke. And it's like, well, you know, come take me to task on it. Let's go buy a kite and let's go get out in the ocean. Let's see if I can kite surf. And I bet I can figure that thing out. And in a little bit of a tangent there, Jason, but we get, we get stuck in these decisions. And, you know, sometimes I know we've kind of talked about your audience a little bit in that corporate America world, and they have these grand aspirations and they go, I want to be a better father. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be, you know, whatever it is. And my question is, well, what would you have when that thing is already accomplished? If you've moved yourself in the future of that, how would you act or behave differently than you are right now? And just become that. If you want to be a better father, then just tell me the characteristics of that better father. What behavioral patterns would you have that makes you a better father? And just start doing that today. Yep. Well, I think that's a, that's a good, you know, kind of mi middle of the episode transformational takeaway for people as well, right? Is, you know, whatever it is that you want to be, you know, again, everybody listening is going to be something different. Luke wants to be a, you know, a kite surfer. Great. <laughs> I want, I want to see those pictures when you get out there too, you know, start a YouTube channel. Over. I know, you know, but, but it, I mean, literally that's how some YouTube channels and other stuff start, right? Somebody wants to learn how to kite surf and they just flip on the camera and people come along on the journey with them. I mean, that's literally there's, I'm sure there's tons of YouTube videos out there that if you wanted to, you can start watching them and it's going to help you get that much closer. Right. But, yeah. but there's already, you know, again, some concrete things of, you know, you could start watching videos, learning about it. You're already kind of dreaming about it. You're already seeing yourself doing that. You realize that there's some next things that you're going to have to do. Yeah. I'm probably going to have to buy a wetsuit. I'm going to have to get some sort of equipment. <laughs> I got to figure it out. Right. When's the best time to kite surf? Is it at the same time that soccer practice is? I don't know. Maybe I only go to four out of five soccer practices, right? But there's a way to get things done if you have that intention and if that's really the identity and who and what you want to become. Yeah. I, I, you know, I often talk about there's that one of the great equalizers is simply time. We all, you know, we all have. That is the only real equalizer. It's, yeah, it's the only real equalizer. And and how is it that you can look to someone who you consider to be a higher performer and say, "How do you?" I don't understand how you do it. Well, it's easy. You know, I, I do it because I simply set my intention to it, and I say that that's the way that I'm going to do it. That's the way that I live my life, and I firmly believe that it's not a matter of A or B. I choose A and B. And I'm now I'm looking to solve for that equation so that A and B can both coexist in my life. It's like cooking dinner. Maybe I just don't have to go. I don't, I don't go to the grocery store. Somebody delivers a box of food to my doorstep and I put the ingredients together in 30 minutes. But that 30 minutes that I saved going to the grocery store is time I spent with my kids. And because I ate fresh food, I'm now a healthier <clears throat> version of myself. And I think, you know, oftentimes we find these reasons and excuses for why we can't do it. And 
um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is the Einstein quote that said the problems can't be solved on the plane that they were created in the same state of mind that they were created is that we, that's why we find mentors. That's why we pick new sets of friends that help us have a broader view of this so that we can make A and B coexist in our world. Yeah. Well, and I think that it is, it's, it's about being committed to actually getting it done, right? We can all find excuses. So if you want to find excuses, then go find excuses. But if you're tired, right, of not having what you want and you're tired of making excuses, Luke just gave you the recipe for how you can actually just get started just one step at a time, one decision at a time, one little thing. You know, I, you, you've heard about, you talked about those 1% changes. Yeah. That's kind of what you're talking about here too, I think, right? Is it's yeah. just, we're, we're, you know, to, to, to make the big transformational changes in your life doesn't, doesn't mean you go do this big, whatever it is. It's those little incremental things that you do differently every day that get you that much closer to where you want to be. Yeah, Jason, you know, I mean, that's, I, um, I've spent my life, especially my adult life being a super high performer, but it doesn't mean that 100% of the time that I've operated in peak condition. There's certainly those valleys. The difference is that I, I recover quicker, I think. And when, for, for me, the 1% changes, there was a time um, about five or six years ago, business was going extremely well. My marriage was going well. My kids were going well. I was 213 pounds. I'm five foot 11. My healthy body weight is about 190 pounds, 185 pounds. You know, whoever's a fitness coach is going to tell me you should be 160, Luke. You know, it's like oh, no. lay off me. Right? Don't listen to BMI. Uh, That's right. Yeah, now. but the, you know, the point of it was I was super unhealthy, and I was telling myself stories about why that needed to be true for me. Well, I, you know, I can't, um, I can't do that because I'm also being a father and a business owner, and it was that that story, that limitation that I was telling myself as I walked into Chick-fil-A and I got a Chick-fil-A biscuit and a sweet tea, right? And some chicken minis. It's like, well, you fat ass. <laughs> you, you didn't actually need the Chick-fil-A chicken minis for breakfast, right? You could have had a protein bar. Or for my sake, it's how about just intermittent fasting? And when you find out that your body doesn't actually need the meal, it can survive on two meals. It can survive on 1800 calories. And it turns out that as you begin to make those 1% changes, those, those changes that you make in life become habits. And, you know, another great example, I never, you get a book, a bookshelf full of books there. I told myself the story until I was about 36 years old that I didn't read professionally. And I championed it, that I was so proud of myself that I didn't, I never read a book in college that I could, I, I had a system for it. I would read the first two and the last two pages of every chapter. And I was smart enough to be able to diagnose what the intention of the book was that I could fake it to make it. And it's fine that, that, cause I graduated with college with a good GPA and it, and it got me to where I wanted to go. But now I look at that book full of, or that bookshelf full of opportunity there to go. There's a more empowering version of that. And now I read constantly. You know, I make the time and, and the space in my life to be able to do that. And those 1% changes, the thing that, you know, that I always say is that nobody ever got fat from eating one pizza and they got never got skinny from running one mile. Nobody got rich from doing one cell and they never got poor because they took one vacation. But consistency is the key to it. And if I can wake up every morning and go for a walk 
if I can take a 10 minute walk and make that become an 11 and 12 and a 13 and a 14, then eventually that consistency is how I'm not 213 pounds anymore. Matter of fact, I can't even envision a version of myself at 213 pounds because I don't have that identity. I, I carry the identity of an athlete who's creating longevity for my life so that I can be here for my children and enjoy the, enjoy all that life has to offer. Yeah. And so, you know, for everybody listening, if you, if you feel like sometimes change is just so overwhelming and that's why you're holding back, it's not right. It's, it's all these little things. I mean, Luke just preached to you right there, rewind, listen to it again, but you know, it's, it's those simple, those simple things, right. And, you know, sweet tea. Nope. Today I'm going to have, you know, unsweetened tea. Mm -hmm. That's a simple decision. Right. But but I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a real life story. Um, one of my friends, his mom, significantly overweight. The only decision that she made was I will no longer drink soda. Mm -hmm. That was it. And the woman lost a ton of weight from yeah. that one decision. But it was that one decision that she did consistently. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's that's where, again, that, you know, you, you don't have to change the whole world, just change one little thing in your life. And it'll, it'll help you to start getting closer to where you want to be. Now, I, I, you know, I know, I could keep talking forever, but I know we got to kind of <laughs> wrap up at some point, because you're a busy guy, you got to get back to your life too. But but I wanted to kind of end on because one of the things we talked about before we hit record that uh, is about maintaining energy. And I thought this would be a good, a good point to kind of end on because you know, a lot of times as people are trying to make changes in their life, they're doing the consistency. They're, they're, you know, they're going for that 15 minute walk each day, but sometimes it's hard to kind of maintain that energy and, and keep it going. And you and I know from our lives and how we help people, most people kind of give up after a very short period of time, seven to seven days, two weeks, around that time people have good intentions and then they just kind of stop what are what are some tips or takeaways for people on how to kind of maintain their energy and just help them keep going right so that they end up having the results of these changes well there's a few things and and the first that i would say to folks is that you're most people do it the wrong way they try to change things in their environment and they try to move things that are not the needle movers. And, and the, the problem, and this is the brain science component is that so much of the, the neuro processes that happen in our brain happen in the subconscious level. And I mean, you know, if I were to ask you right now, Jason, have you thought about breathing? You know, have you, have you thought about kept keeping the circulation going in your body? And it's like, no, that my body is operating for me at the subconscious level, the brain is, is processing all of those things. And, and when we say like, I want to, I want to be, I want to lose 30 pounds. That's a novel thing, but you're, you're talking about things that are happening in the environmental level. And when, when we look at this level and we say things that happen in, in our environment is supported by our behaviors and our beliefs and our values and our identity. And when you make the changes at the lowest level, you're making surface level changes that won't stick. When you change the identity, whether it's saying I'm no longer going to be 
overweight. I'm no longer going to be a slave in my work environment. I'm no longer going to be a bad spouse. And you move that into a positive version of that to say, I am an athlete. I am a high performing executive. I am an incredible spouse, father. And when you now take it to the identity level, everything else below that, your values, your beliefs, your capabilities, and then finally the things that happen in your environment come to play. I didn't, I did not get in shape because I decided to go start intermittent fasting and execute a keto diet. I got in shape because I assumed the identity of an athlete. I was a high school athlete. I've run half marathons and I, and I have that identity and I needed to return to that identity. But the, you know, the biggest key to success is these 1% changes is that you're not trying to lose 30 pounds. You're trying to stop drinking Coca-Cola. You know, it's funny because I, I don't drink soda. I, I drink these big old waters. And the other day I drank a Coca-Cola. I, and I probably the it's first like Coke shock I, to the system. Yeah. <laughs> first Coke that I'd had in probably three or four years. And it was so damn good, but I didn't want it. You know, at the end of it, it's not like I was addicted to it. And it's like my identity that is that of a soda drinker it was good. Enjoyed it with a tomato soup or whatever I was drinking. But, you know, when we, when we make these changes in our lives, when we make these 1% changes and we make the commitment to being the future version of the better version of ourselves, it all becomes easy. And when you can realize that the universe is actually conspiring in your favor, it's presenting a path for you. This is the, you know, the craziest thing about this stuff, Jason, is that when you, when you begin to see it, the path is laid out for you. You know, people always joke about Google and then say, you know, I said it and all of a sudden Facebook advertised to me there's actually a universal law that's happening. You know, the attraction and the manifestation that you simply by calling your intention to it and saying, I'm going to be an athlete, it unfolds in front of you because it's already working for you. And that's the real secret to it. So follow the path, just be, be willing to walk down the path and follow it as if it's already happened for you. Yeah. Well, that's great. Great. Uh, great way to kind of end on it because again um you just kind of summed up what we've been talking about again here too right is that just like with your you know kite surfing example it all started with the identity of i'm a kite surfer right i'm an athlete whose next challenge is kite surfing and once you kind of set that as the intention of uh in the identity that you want to become then the path starts to open up for you like you mm -hmm. said right well if i'm going to do that i probably need a surfboard i probably need a kite i probably need a right and you, how about and an all, instructor yeah, body yeah water. i, I yeah. need somebody yeah. to teach me how to do it i need to watch videos i need whatever right read a book about it i don't know yeah but but once you know like you said we we usually get it backwards because we want the path laid out for us. The path gets laid out once you choose what you want. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that is so backwards. So, you know, again, everybody listening, choose, choose some things you want out of life. You know, think about it, dream about it, start to embody that identity. You know, and, and I love what you, what you said, because so many people try to lose 30 pounds. Quit trying to lose 30 pounds. Mm -hmm. Just be a healthy, fit, athletic person 
your body's going to lose the 30 pounds because yeah. when you embody that identity, the path that you need to follow to get to that will become clear. For some people, it might be stop drinking Coke. Yeah. Some people, it might be start running. Some people, it might be, you know, I just bought a Peloton. You know, I'm, I'm getting into that now. Yeah. Um, but everybody's path is going to be a little different. But until you decide what you want, the path isn't going to show up. I think what's key to it, and, and I love the way that you articulate that about the path showing up, is that um, is that you immediately assign gratitude for the journey that you're on. And, and that's what I see so many folks lacking is that I can't lose weight. You know, I can't, you know, I can't, my body is not cut out for it. I have diabetes or, you know, I have bad knees or some, something like that. And it's like, those are all stories. If you just change the story to say, I, um, I'm grateful for a body that carries me through the day. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity for food on my table. I'm, I'm thankful for a family that supports me in any condition that I am. And when you assign that to go, I'm, you know, I am on a journey to be a, a lifelong learner. I'm going to be a human being that, that is on this earth at 90 years old. And I'm thankful for that. And that, that, that change in mindset to a position of gratitude, we say attitude of gratitude, right? All the time, but you know, mm -hmm. it's truly an attitude of gratitude that, that is thankful for the opportunity. I'm going, to, I'm going to go for a run this afternoon. You know, when we get done talking, I'm going to go outside and enjoy the sunshine. And I'm thankful for the sunshine and thankful for a body that will carry me at a speed that will give me longevity. Well, and that's, you know, cause I've been, I've been focusing more on the gratitude as well. And it's, it's, you know, again, everybody listening, just, just take a pause right now. And I, I don't care whether you're 200 pounds overweight, whether you have the bad knees, whatever, whatever you're bitching and moaning about, just stop for, for 20 seconds and think about what your body has allowed you to do. You know, your feet that you've traveled, you know, for some of us millions of miles on our feet or in a car for every day that we get up the hundred thousand times a day or whatever it is that our heart beats, you know, it's, it's pretty fucking amazing what our body does, even when we abuse it and just, just having, you know, gratitude for that, even just for a short, short period of time, just totally puts things in perspective. And so, you know, another takeaway for everybody listening, next time you start bitching and moaning about something, just say, stop it, stop it. And just spend 30 seconds being grateful for something that you're normally not grateful for. Mm -hmm. And that'll get you out of your bitch and moan session and uh, get you back to, to where you want to go. So Luke, thank you for coming on today, man. I had a good time with you. And, um, you know, it's, I love doing these cause I, I learn as much as everybody else does too. So you said a few things for me today, um, that were things I needed to hear. So thank you. Um, thank you for that. Thank you everybody for listening, you know, make sure again, you've got to the end of the episode now. So you've got several takeaways, um, that you can do something about, uh, go back, listen to it again, share it with your friends and family, because if you needed to hear it, they needed to hear it as well. Um, and Luke, thank you. Thank you for showing up. Now, I know you've got the Shift Work podcast as well. So, uh, you know, the fact that you're listening to this podcast means you like listening to podcasts. So go listen to Luke's too, uh, because I'm sure there's going to be some good stuff over there 
um, as you can tell from just what he had today. So any final thoughts, Luke, for, for everybody? No, cer certainly. Uh, I am super grateful to you, Jason, for the impact that you have on your audience. Thanks for allowing me to spend the past hour with you. And I look forward to it. You know, if anybody has any questions, engage with me on social media. I love the healthy bander, even if you want to say you're full of shit, Luke. I'm not here, so, um, it's okay. No, it's tell great. him, tell him he's full of shit. And then we, we all, <laughs> yeah. we all need a little, tell me more stories about flying down. airplanes. That's what they want to know. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, reach out, reach out to Luke on social media, follow him on his shift work podcast as well. And uh, again, I'm grateful to you, my friend, for, for coming on and spending the time with me today. Cause I needed to hear it. And um, I know everybody that's listening needed to hear it as well. So thank you. You bet, Jason. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you enjoyed the most about the podcast. And you may even be featured on a future episode. When you're ready to turbocharge your leadership development, join the Briefing Leadership Program where you get access to everything in one place and can interact directly with me in the group. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to C-Risk Academy's video on-demand learning platform at ondemand.criskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you will also have access to hundreds of video on-demand learning opportunities. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.